And welcome to the Cult Cinema Circle Podcast. My name is Jesse, and I'll be your host. So on today's episode, we are going to actually go right down to downtown Baltimore and go try to, uh, you know, lick all of the marbles' stuff to go curse them because they're trying to be the filthiest people alive. And then we're also going to go shoplifting and, you know, um, I don't know. But what we're doing today, though, is today on this episode, we are going to be covering the one, the only 1972's Pink Flamingos. Now, this movie is near and dear to me, like a lot of John Waters' movies are. Um, We'll get into it. But I couldn't do this alone, though. I needed to bring someone with me to talk about this film, uh, because why the hell not? And plus, it's my show. I can do what I want. So my guest today has been on the Cult Cinema Circle podcast before. Uh, He was on the episode for Carnival of Souls. He has also been the MVP of the Movies That Made Us Gay podcast, because he literally was just on it um, not too long ago, and he's been on like seven episodes of that. Uh, But anyway, uh, please welcome back to the show, Jackson Cooper. Jackson, how you doing, babe? so excited to be back thank you of course you know i always guys, don't tell the other guys but this is my favorite podcast to be on well you know listen because um well because you and me have a little bit of a kinship because we're both east coast boys you know so we both kind of we're both dc metro area so you know um this is kind of why I'm I'm sure I brought you on too. Um, and we have other things rumbling in the mix as well of, you know, the show or whatever. That's a little teaser for all y'all. But anyway, uh, but actually Jackson, you, funny enough, like, I mean, I knew I was going to do this movie and also do John Waters films in general on our show uh, and all of that, you know, but you actually, when I asked you like, Hey, Yo, come on my show. What would you cover? You gave me a, a list of different ones, and I was like, oh, Pink Flamingos, that's fun. Uh, so I want to know, kind of, like, why Why do you like Pink Flamingos? Why would you want to come uh, and on a podcast and talk about it? Um, what do you, what is it about yeah, this movie I, that you like? I love, so I got into cult movies when I was young because there was a book Mm-hmm. called Midnight Movies by Jonathan Rosenbaum, uh, who used to write for The Village Voice. And it was just, it's a, it's a, you can still find it on Amazon used for like $7. And it was, uh, it was this, this um, big, this book that had all of these um, black and white photos from Rocky Horror Picture Show, Eraserhead, and this movie called Pink Flamingos. And what was really interesting because I hadn't seen Rocky Horror Picture Show quite yet, I assumed all of the movies that were cult movies uh, were in black and white, including Rocky Horror Picture Show, because all these um, uh, all these movies had, you know, the black and white photos. I was very young when I bought this book, obviously. And, and so I, but I read about in there Pink Flamingos because, they said that the midnight movie craze sort of was kicked off because of, I mean, there was night of the living dead in 68 and then pink flamingos and uh, Jonathan Rosenbaum like wrote about it where it was just like someone eats dog feces. Um, There's this, you know, the, the, the main character is uh, a drag queen kind you know playing a female kind of stuff and it's the most disgusting movie ever and i said i have to watch this movie 
but you couldn't find it anywhere on DVD. And so I finally found it on DVD when I was uh, too young to watch Pink Flamingos. And it's always held a special place in my heart because it's such a, we'll talk about how ridiculous it is, but it is, it was one of the first movies to really shock me. Um, and still to this day, when I watch it, it is, it is completely shocking to watch. Yeah. But I loved the mythos of it. I loved the legacy. I loved the reputation of it. And, and that aside, I just love the movie so much. It's just such a, it's, it's one of those, like, how the fuck did this get made kind of movies? <laughs> like, I don't, who thinks of this shit? And then to think that this is the guy who directed Hairspray and mm-hmm. Serial Mom and Cecil B. Demented, you're just like, oh, yeah, okay, it makes sense a little bit now. But the guy who played, did Hairspray, it's crazy. Yeah. I, I, I know. I yeah, no, totally. I, I agree. I think for me at least, so thank you for sharing that. But, you know, I... For me, at least, you know, I, I'm on a similar kind of, you know, path with that. Um, you yourself are, I'm from Baltimore, Maryland specifically. Yeah. Uh, where are you from exactly? Or where did you grow Manassas, up? Manassas, Virginia. So near Baltimore. Right. Exactly. Um, like right, uh, down south for sure. So for me, being that I was from Baltimore, right? Um, you know, and, my exposure to John Waters was really through the 1988 Hairspray, which to this day is, and it probably won't change too much, even though I haven't seen all of his movies, but it's my favorite. I love it so much. Fuck me up, Divine. Fuck me up, Ricky Lake. Like, all of it. Like, it's just, it's a great movie. Um, And it's his most accessible one, obviously, too, um, because it's the literal one that's PG. But anyway, uh, and, uh, but... I found that out and I was like, okay, cool, great. But then finding out like, oh no, John Waters had these like really gross movies before. That's all he did yeah. before that, really. Um, and I think I saw Pink Flamingos probably when I was a teenager-ish or something. Somehow I was able to watch it either there was on TV somewhere where I was on like a premium channel that I watched or something. I don't even know. I feel like it was on IFC or Sundance. I always come back to that. Um, did you say that? I think it was on yeah. IFC for a while. Yeah, time. yeah. Oh, Something yeah. like that. Yeah, they would be on there. And so I was like, what the fuck is this movie, though? Like, whatever. And so for me, at least, like, yeah, just having somebody like John Waters, who's literally from Towson Lutherville, I know where that is. I've been there plenty of times. Um, and knowing that, like, he's, he, he did what he wanted and he got out and he lived, he is living his dream, you know? And, and that was like super cool. And then just like the whole thing with the dreamlanders, we'll probably talk about that a little bit, but you know, I, I just feel like he is one of my favorite directors because he's a good dot. He's a good time Baltimore guy, you know? And he's like, so he seems like he's just so unaffected by, you know, his fame in a weird way. And he's still ridiculous. And I just love him for it. Like, honestly. So, I mean, that's my connection to him and, and all of that, but yeah, that's pretty much what that was. It's just, this is his first film that he did. That was like, kind of like, here's a big thing, you know, Uh, even though I know he did stuff before that, but still. Well, some, but this was his, his big breakthrough. And, and I think the thing that resonated with me was, uh, and what I love about midnight movies is how the fame gets away from the filmmaker 
And so the fact that this was literally put like the canisters were taken from uh, into the car of um, I forget the uh, the executive's name at New Line. And he would just drive it around from like town to town. And like the Bob seven- Shea is what you're thinking Bob of. Shea, right. Yeah, Bob Shea. Bob Shea would just drive around Pink Flamingos and show it at midnight screenings and college screenings. And it just found this huge audience of of people and specifically young people who just the like connected to the anarchy of the the story and everything like that i i just there was something so hopeful about that too you know that it's like people connect to the art that they want to see and uh yeah it's 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 a uh, but i agree with you too i think for me john waters was the fact that he had the glee of this sort of young filmmaker like throughout his entire career and and just never censored himself and sort of just kind of went bigger and bigger and bigger with each thing um it was it was just it was exhilarating and and uh the dreamlanders reminded me of me and my friends when we would make movies in high school you know just in the backyard with a camera it was just like you know, you use the same cast, the same locations, but it's a different uh, um, movie. And so there's, yeah, I have, I have a deep nostalgia for, for this movie in particular, but all of his, all of his works I love to see. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, yeah. And, and again, just like these things that people don't always kind of get of like, you know, the fact that he has people with Baltimore accents and people are just like, oh, is that how people really talk in Baltimore? I was like, some of them. Yeah. Every yeah. so often, sometimes. <laughs> and even myself, like, I don't have like a super thick, but oh, I can turn it on, hon. Oh, you know, it's just like, it's very much that. And, you know, I just, oh God. Anyway, we'll move on with, uh, this is just going to be a turning into a John Waters love fest. If that's the case, we got to move on with the actual show, but, uh, of course. Yes. We love you. Please come on the show. Uh, I'm sure you can work zoom John Waters. It's fine. But anyway, so, um, but this movie, Pink Flamingos in particular, we'll get onto some of the figures of the movie. So it was released March 17th of 1972. Um, and then it was literally directed, written, and produced by John Waters because he had no one else to do it, pretty much. Um, we're looking at a budget of about $12,000, which is uh, apt, if anything. I wouldn't say it's surprising, but, you know, all right, fair enough. I have no, I don't really have like concrete box office information about this. Do you have any of that or anything like that? Off the top of my head, I know that it, it made a lot of money eventually, but that's true. Obviously from the screenings, but also from home video. um, True. And, and these underground screenings, but I, I don't know the figure. I don't either. I'm sure it made at least over a million dollars at some point, but girl, who knows? Uh, we're looking at about an 84% on the tomato meter. So that technically I think is a certified fresh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, <laughs> so I don't fucking know why, but okay. <laughs> and then a 72% from audiences. Um, and then a six out of 10 on IMDb and then a 3.5 out of five on Letterboxd. Uh, so that's what we're looking at in terms of the figures. Some critical response quotes of the movie uh, from some critics are, uh, we have Karina Montgomery from Cinerina, who states, uh, people complain about shock cinema and how far it will go now to penetrate our jaded, desensitized sensibilities. Come meet the grandfather of it all. 
I don't know if that's a, a negative one, but okay, whatever. Uh, with the Variety staff uh, says it's one of the most vile, stupid, and repulsive films ever made. We're getting it. All right. We're getting yeah, it. Yeah, got uh, it. <laughs> and then we have, of course, Roger Ebert, you know, the author of Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. God damn it. Oh, oh don't worry. We're going to do an episode on it. Don't oh, you worry. Yes. Oh, we're going to. I already yeah. have a guest in mind and everything. But anyway, yeah. uh, Roger Ebert said, I am not giving a star uh, rating to Pink Flamingos because stars simply mean not to apply. It should be considered not as a film, but as a fact or perhaps as an object. But you know what? Fair. I I will take it. <laughs> like, yeah, this this movie is no, that. Like, that yeah, that savage. That's a savage review, Roger. He did. Yeah. I mean, listen. Like, you know, he's just like it's an object. It's a thing. It's not an actual film. I'm like, okay, listen. All right. Listen, John Waters was the one who said Beyond the Valley of the Dolls was the best thing Roger Ebert ever wrote. So, oh my god, completely. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, our cast we have Divine or um, Glenn Milstead, pretty much. Uh, who is playing Divine slash Babs Johnson. We'll get into it. Uh, David Lockery is Raymond Marble and Mink Stoll is Connie Marble. Uh, Marion Vivian Pierce is Cotton, who is, I guess, the daughter of Babs or somebody. Uh, Danny Mills, his one and only like role ever as Crackers. Uh, Edith Massey as Edie. Uh, Cookie Mueller as Cookie. Uh, Channing Wilroy as Channing. We're getting real creative with the character names. Um, and then we have some supporting roles of like Paul Swift as the Eggman. And then Susan Walsh as Susie, one of the uh, prisoners at the Marbles. We'll get into it. Um, and then we have like random people like Steve Yeager, who literally, if I'm not mistaken, he did the documentary Divine Trash, I believe, which okay. is a documentary you can do it might be the same steve yeager who i think also is a professor at towson in the film program if i'm not mistaken if i'm thinking the same guy he actually plays one of the reporters uh, at the end which is fun um and then like vincent perenio who is like um i believe he's like one of the production designers he was like a musician at the party that they have shit like that you know and then oh also we have uh Elizabeth Coffey as a transgender woman who um gets accosted by Raymond Marble and we'll talk about that scene. Right. We'll talk right. about it. Um but yeah, so that's our our uh and then of course we have John Waters doing his best uh Baltimore accent with Mr. J where he's just talking about, you know, the downtown uh the teeming metropolis of downtown Baltimore and all that. But yeah uh the, nar- yes. the narrator folks the narrator the narrator mr j is what they call him or it's what he calls himself uh fun little thing before we move into any production history so uh if you don't already know with john waters and this narrator he actually um based it off of a local um like wig salesman kind of guy i don't remember the guy's name but he was like some guy in baltimore who literally made wigs for uh you know uh people of color and he would like you know uh like advertise on tv i'll be like hey here's this toupee you can have and then oh here's this like wig you can have and whatever he had like a real thick baltimore accent and he actually wanted John Waters wanted that guy to be the narrator of this movie, but then he like he like asked him, and then he was like, "No, no, no." Um, I can't do it. So, 
<laughs> I can't do it. Like he was just, he wasn't into it at all. Um, and so then because of that, like he uh, just made fun of him and did his own accent, but he was literally making fun of this, like, you know, niche wig salesman from Baltimore who had these like random ass, like uh, commercials on the TV and things like that. So I just thought that was kind of fun, but yeah, yeah anyway, exactly. Um, so, what we're normally going to do on the show, we'll go through some production history. We'll go through like a plot breakdown kind of, although with this kind of movie, there's not much of a plot, but we'll go through some of it. Uh, and then we'll also talk about the characters, the legacy the movies had, shit like that. You know, what you come for. Um, so yeah, Jackson, I'm going to put you, I'm not too on the spot, but do you have any particular uh, production history that you found out about this movie or that you know about, about it before I move into a little bit of what I found out about it? I think the the biggest thing uh, the biggest thing for me was I st- I vaguely recall and I don't know if you have this but I vaguely recall reading somewhere that he still didn't have permits to film most of Oh absolutely not. <laughs> um which is which is typical early John Waters um uh, I think I don't know if it was uh Mondo Trasho or one of the early ones where he literally got arrested for not having a permit. Um, no, I, I think I remember the, the only thing I remember from the production history was that, um, every single place was, um, was, was like a friend's house or, you know, an abandoned this or that or the other. Um, and then I think famously that the final shot where divine eats dog shit is, was actually real. And yes. that, and that divine would do anything for John Waters essentially, and so John, uh, you know, made her put it in the mouth. And people, there's a myth that divine, like you can see divine chewing it, and that it swallows. I mean, disgusting stuff. But divine, I think, said that she put it in her mouth, and then immediately John yelled, "Cut!" And they like sprayed a hose in her mouth to wash it out but that's real but that's like a completely real uh shot at the end Um, yeah no totally yeah and and i always kind of figured it was uh but yeah i mean the basic idea i mean i didn't go into a ton of john waters history the basic idea is that john waters was born in baltimore he was brought up in a catholic family as many of people were my mother was uh I'm sure a lot of other people were too in Baltimore. Go watch the keepers on Netflix. If you want to have a fucking crazy ass. Oh my God. It's so good. Um, have you seen it at all or no? no 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 not yet. Not yet. Ooh, the keepers is real good. It's about, um, this cold case. It really is a cold case of a nun that was killed in the late sixties in Baltimore. And it's like real good. And it's gonna make you trust nobody anyway. So, (laughs) but pretty much like he like went to, I think Catholic school and all that kind of stuff, but he just was like fucking done with all of it. He was so enamored with like little Richard and Elvis Presley and, you know, like all of these different kind of like, you know, punk shit and like, uh, again, like, you know, Motown and like, uh, rock and roll, if you will, which was different than his normal ass, like, you know, conservative ass Baltimore parents. You know what I mean? Uh, 
because again, folks, uh, Baltimore technically is in the South. So we kind of have a weird mix of things. Like we literally legalized weed, like not too long ago, uh, which is nice, but, uh, you also have some conservative ass people in this state too. Uh, you just kind of come with the territory if anything, but you know, it's, but it's one of those things where I think he just had such a punk sensibility to him. And, you know, he went to NYU, he got kicked out of there for smoking weed with some of his friends. Uh, but he was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to make some movies. And that's literally how it kind of came to be with him. Uh, and so he made like eat your makeup, Mondo trash show, uh, the Diane Linklater story, I believe. Sorry, go ahead. Which one? Oh, so the Diane Linklater story, which was like a literal kind of play on an actual case of Diane Linklater, I believe. Um, it was that, like I said, um, Mondo Trasho, Eat Your Makeup, all these, which were like really super low budget things. Something in Spike T, uh, something in Spike Teals. Yes, something like that. But then he. He made a bunch of short short films first. Yeah. yeah. And um yeah, his first one was uh I think it was co- called Devil in Black Heels or something like that. But mm-hmm. it was about a woman who marries a black man and the wedding is officiated by a member of the KKK and as they're driving away on their honeymoon, both the man and the woman are dressed as jack or uh jfk and jackie kennedy and the black man i think the black man gets assassinated it's it's a it's a wild wild craziness movie for that um and you know it's funny criterion shout out criterion collection for uh restoring many of john waters's early stuff including multiple maniacs which looks fantastic in 4k um but, you know, I was reading an interview with somebody that said, you know, Mondo Trasho, which I think was his first big breakout short film, cannot, will never be released because it w- it's a silent movie with music and all the music uh, that's, is, is all the rights tied up with it are, uh, will never, we will never see it because of that. I think, I think there's, we're off to see The Wizard from Wizard of Oz. So it's like, it'll never be released because of all the rights, but uh, he made all those Mondo Trasho, I think was made from what I understand for $30 and he screened it at a church and it made back its $30 and actually made a profit, um, which sort of led him to make multiple maniacs, which was his first feature length uh, movie and not quite as shocking as Pink Flamingos, but it has some shocking moments. Yeah, it. you have the you have the uh, sexual assault with the lobster. You yeah. have um, Divine yeah. running through the street and getting shot yeah. by the police at the end. Yeah. I believe. Yeah, in one scene, Mink stole inserts a rosary uh, mm-hmm. somewhere on Divine. I won't say where. Yeah, just show. good. Uh, Just good. Know. This is a family friendly show, Jackson, and you bringing your goddamn filthy mouth. Oh my let's, god! Let, let's let's clarify before we go on. Let's clarify to the uh, to the audience at home. It is a giant lobster that mounts divine and begins to assault her. Uh, yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Just yeah. Just in case people were. Still just in case you were wondering and also back uh on that how does she yeah it's a giant it's a person in a giant lobster 
costume, mounts divine, and yes, forces himself onto her. Yeah, well, you know, listen, uh, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what happens in that movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, yeah, so pretty much like, all right, cool, great, lovely. Like, he makes this movie multiple maniacs. I don't care that much about that movie, to be honest, but you know, whatever. I watched it. Um, but pink flamingos i do own the criterion collection of this it comes with a pink phlegm ango bag which is like a puke bag that they give you which they did give out to people when they first did it yep yep but uh yeah pretty much i mean really i think he just wanted john waters to make another movie really uh this is sort of it's not a continuation really of multiple maniacs but i guess divine is still playing herself she's just now under the pseudonym of babs johnson um because she was doing some shit in multiple maniacs but anyway uh yeah i mean like pretty much uh divine's friend bob Bob adams who's i believe probably in this movie uh describes like this trailer that they have set in it was a hippie commune in phoenix maryland if you're not I don't expect any listeners to be familiar with Maryland unless you live here, I guess. But Phoenix um, is kind of out in the sticks a little bit. It's like right between like Harford County and like where I used to live, actually. But also Baltimore um, County as well a little bit. It's actually, I think, in Baltimore County, technically. But anyway, so it's it's a little bit more rural, I guess. Um, And there is somebody who I think lives on the property where this trailer was actually. And they have, uh, and they know about and everything like that. Um, it's like an old guy and his wife. Um, but anyway, uh, I mean, yeah, it was like a hippie commune. Like, you know, fucking they, they were just trying to live, man. I mean, like, for example, like John Waters and Mink stole, they lived at the marbles, house. It's literally where they lived. Uh, you know, like they were just this was guerrilla filmmaking at its best really uh i mean generally also this movie uh it started in 1971 it was um shot october of 1971 and ended in january of 1972 which is why you can see people's breath throughout this whole thing because it was all done during the cold months that is exactly why (laughs) and it gets cold up in this bitch in maryland if you didn't already realize um sun is still out yeah yes exactly um well so it's still out yes but still it's like fucking cold cold. um like i I don't know i don't really know actually if i'm not mistaken washington's not like because washington doesn't have nice days every day either right i mean like no y'all have some seasons but it gets dark it gets dark here a lot yeah oh true yeah it doesn't get that it doesn't get that hurt your face cold that I know Baltimore parts of part, you know, all that, that. Is all of that, that um, where the cold front comes in every year. Yeah. Uh, we're on the fucking coast and everything like that. Y'all are on the nice coast where y'all have all that. We're on the bad coast where like, literally like it's fucking horrible sometimes. Yeah. And then plus also we have the humidity here too. So like, it's not Florida level bad, but like, it's still pretty bad. Um, it's hot as shit today. It's hot as shit right now. Uh, not in my place where I'm at, but today it was. So I'm just saying. Anyway, but uh, yeah, I mean, like, Pink Flamingos is pretty much just like underground filmmaking at its best, pretty much. Um, I mean, yeah, like, this movie is just fucking like, there's not much to it, really. Like, John Waters wanted to make a movie. That's really it. Um, and so, you know, if anything, like, that is what 
came of this. Uh, the release of this movie, it was uh, shown at a film festival. It was uh, done on the it was a film festival at the University of Baltimore, which is still a university that is in Baltimore City, technically. It uh, sold out tickets for three um, successive uh, screenings, and it had a bunch of people who were just kind of interested in it. They just figured out what it was, and then that's kind of how it got its, like... I think from the word of mouth it had, that's why people like in New York, in Philadelphia, these different places were like, hey, have you seen this movie? Have you heard of this movie, Pink Flamingos? It's fucking crazy. Um, and children, uh, before the, you know, before computers and all this shit, because me and Jackson are old ladies. And we remember a time talk, before you talk to your friends. You, you did go see a movie <laughs> you really did you had to like tell people like hey go see this fucking weird movie and like you know call them on your phone that wasn't in your like fucking pocket like it would be on the wall or you'd have like a rotary phone or like something like that i i wasn't old enough for the rotaries like i'm not that old but like yeah exactly but anyway so i mean yeah, but the and big then, thing with got, Go ahead, well, sorry. And it, and so after the film festival it got picked up by New Line, Bob Shave. It did. Bob Shave who um I don't know how he heard of it. I'm sure it was something like, you know, his nephew told him or or he got wind of it again word of mouth, but it was um New Line Cinema huge theatrical or pretty big theatrical distributor at the time um picked it up and started to distribute it and specifically marketed it towards college students as a midnight movie and and screen i love how you also are giving new line cinema a lot of credit right now because (laughs) new line new line at this time was not actually a big distributor i believe it was literally bob shea who was i think a lawyer by trade um literally just to make money he i believe was like uh, like you were saying he did have this movie i'm sure he had some softcore porn up in there that he was like distributing easily yeah you know um and also funny enough too with like last house on the left i mean this is right around that same time like i don't know how i don't know if he was involved in that movie i feel like he somehow was or like was i know it was Wes craven and sean s cunningham i know they both were part of it obviously but i feel like bob shea was in there somewhere where he was like i mean i guess i'll like see if people want to watch your movie i don't know yeah yeah i but yeah i am giving it a lot more credit because because new line as we know it now is is very reputable but at the time it was it was a little but i think it it was a good business move on bob shay's end where it was just capitalizing on youth culture and what what people were talking about which is absolutely all that you you know if you're a movie executive that's all your life is is what are people talking about and how can we make money off of it True. Um, but i i think i do think i think what's important for listeners to understand is that like that was kind of a really solid stamp of approval mm-hmm. uh, for a movie like this like the independent film craze was not taking off quite yet. No, not at the, all. The studio system was dead, like completely dead yeah. after 1968. Um, 
67, 68. So movies were pretty much floundering and it was just like nothing was really coming out of 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 Hollywood USA really um you know there were a bunch of you know Scorsese was still in school Romero Romero had done Night of Living Dead Mm -hmm. and so there was but there wasn't a cohesive thing you know sort of graduation for indie filmmakers to make a film right go be a big budget person so for a distributor uh that took a movie like pink flamingo seriously is Mm -hmm. really valuable and and one thing that i think in terms of film history is very important because it's like this was some guy yes who wanted to make money off of it but yeah who took a chance on a movie that kind of i mean i love it but it's like in hindsight retrospect it shouldn't be it shouldn't work you know, no, not at all. As, as a as a popular film, uh, it w- but it was such a cult underground thing, and New Line sort of said, you know, brought the cult underground outside of Baltimore and made it a a national cult underground thing, which is which is fascinating. Absolutely, and I think, and you bring up a good point because even me and uh, me and our 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 girl Pickens, hey Pickens, uh, you know, we talked about this during sorority babes, like, but we talked about how like you know when home video came out, it changed the landscape because yeah. then you could have uh first off you could own physical media which was a huge thing but then it gave people a chance to actually have a film industry that was not uh i wouldn't say it was democratized but it definitely was a little bit more accessible you know you could have people like brink stevens linnea quigley uh michelle bauer you know be these like scream queen actresses right um they were never going to be in fucking like hollywood ass movies it's just not how they were you know so with something like this, I mean, it is very much a a movie that was just made as something to shock people, to be filthy, really, uh, and all that. But and it's interesting you say that, like, yeah, when you think about it, like, we're coming up at the end of the sexual revolution. So we're going to go into history, too. So we're coming up on the sexual revolution. Um, so the 60s have ended. Um civil rights uh so we have people who were assassinated so martin luther king malcolm x all of this so black people are like fuck everybody fuck all these white people pretty much um and fuck this system uh of racism and systematic racism uh queer people are like fuck you guys like we're going to have stonewall because y'all are like treating us like criminals and this is horrible we then have women being like, hey, um, I am trying to be more liberated and not be like a fucking housewife. Um, and yeah, I want to be able to take a pill that doesn't, you know, uh, allow me to. I want to have a pill so I don't just get pregnant every time I have sex. That'd be nice. Um, oh, and also, I actually want to enter the workforce and like try to be an independent person and not be, you know, put with my husband I'm supposed to have. Uh so the 60s were a lot, which is why movies like um, Night of the Living Dead, you could dig into all of the subtext there and you could dig into all of that. But as you were saying, to come back to your point, um, yeah, when I think about it, there wasn't like a huge movie. It was like, here's the shining beacon, right? Like we didn't have blockbusters. We didn't have like 
I don't know. We didn't have a ton of that, really. Like that, that I can think of. It. Well, this is seventy two, so we didn't get yeah. it until two or two to five years after this. So true. It's only after, and you, you brought up a good point. I mean, this this sort of exhaustion of society, and especially like young true. people who were you know, uh, either like living through high school and they uh, dodged the draft or they uh, didn't go to Vietnam or they saw their older brother. I mean, just this like pent up frustration of of a system that to see uh, rebellious art like Pink Flamingos, which Mm -hmm. is all about pure anarchy. Yeah, um, it is just about fuck the system. There is John John Waters. I listened to the commentary yesterday on the Criterion. There's two of them. I listened to the newer one um, from 2001 or whatever. And he said that this is like cinematic terrorism. That's kind of what he set out for it, really. Completely. And they felt felt that they could own it. You know, I think they, Mm -hmm. I think uh, the midnight movie craze, one of the things I found so fascinating about it when I was, reading it as a kid was it was like there was such an ownership over these movies and we see it most now in rocky horror picture show where it's like of course every generation owns rocky horror in one way or another right but back then you know they owned pink flamingos they owned eraser they owned um uh, reefer madness like there was just ownership that it was like this is something that is ours and no one else and have it or appreciate it like we do and there was a freedom in in a sense like cinema became about freedom um and it was just great i mean again that's why i love this movie in particular because it was just like it's like at that time people just went crazy for it because they were so craving seeing Mm -hmm. nothing that was real because what they what was real was affecting them so they wanted somebody burn it all down and john waters burned it all down with this movie it's it's, i agree yeah and it's so interesting too because i mean i can't predict the future or anything but just with what the state of how the world is going right now because we're repealing shit and we're going back into like the fucking crazy ages or whatever um you know i wouldn't be surprised if history repeated itself and people were like you know what fuck this we want to see stuff that is like totally like barrier breaking and yeah. all that kind of stuff you know yeah. like it wouldn't surprise me at all um yeah uh, listen we get history lessons on this cinema podcast all the time you know this is ed- an educational podcast for the entire family exactly um, all of it um every single one i do want to add about what i think what was what was gr- uh what was great about this movie at the time and people watching it mm-hmm. yes they didn't know what to expect but also they loved it like people yeah people just embrace and didn't just embrace it for what i mentioned where it was like this is ours this is this they just loved it because it was this rebellious you know ragtag group of mm-hmm. losers yeah uh, you know who just were setting fire to everything and and the the plot is about um you know fucking the system up i mean you it know, is to find the most disgusting person in the world and here here are the marbles who are this uptight um sort of almost uh a very 1950s eisenhower mm-hmm. kind of couple and then this really you know the the johnsons and and divine and all of them who right. are just 
complete outskirts of of the city and, yeah. and beyond all this stuff so it, it's just i i love it because it's like they're all terrible people but right it's this this sort of middle class versus you know versus the other and the other wins in this situation yeah even um john waters said on his commentary like it's almost like a it's a truly catholic story in a way because the they're all horrible but like the villains of the story like actually get their comeuppance they do get punished there's redemption in it there's redemption in it and what i love about waters is he himself is such a cinephile he is such a agreed uh he knows movies like he knows what is good you know he's often said like wizard of oz is his favorite he considers the best mm-hmm. movie ever and stuff and and he but he but he talks about jean luc godard he talks about Truffaut. he talks about yeah. hitchcock i mean he knows what he's doing so when you watch this um you don't think you think it is by a film school dropout and it is it but is yeah this, but it's also this very serious piece of filmmaking that he is, you know, and t- he knows what he's doing in the film, which is absolutely. I'm always blown away by. I'm like, everything is intentional in this movie. Yeah, totally. I mean, and again, I think it also goes back to like the fact that he was just this weird kid who I don't think like he did not fit in in his community of house in lutherville like he was kind of an outcast and so was divine as well like you know again children anybody who listens um you know like me and jackson uh how old are you jackson if i may ask i'm 31 uh 29 so you're like a baby but no i'm just kidding but uh <laughs> but no i i'm still a millennial you're still a millennial yes we're like not far in age but i think we can even remember a time I remember a time where, like, I lived through, like, the 2000s and how fucking crazy it was with, like, you didn't talk about being gay like that, okay? Having something like the original Queerest Folk be on, like, you know, cable was a big deal, y'all. Like, this was, like, a thing. Like, you know, so, like, the fact that, you know, but... I can only imagine back in the fucking sixties and seventies. Oh, that shit was fucking. I would have. I don't know if I could have done it. I. I don't know. Like, not that I wouldn't have wanted to, but like, I'm just saying, it was hard. People were not acting gay up all like this, and if you were, you were kind of this pariah. You were seen as somebody who was like dangerous to children. You were yeah. seen as this like horrible thing, and the fact that this queer man and this other queer man are going out here and saying, fuck you, fuck the system and making their movies and being gay as fuck. I mean, again, it's so punk rock. I fucking love it. But it's liberating. It's liberating. And that even when he, and this is what I love about him even today, it was like, he never, uh, you know, he never sold out in a sense. He he was not at all who he was. And um, and that's the other beautiful thing, like, especially with the Dreamlanders was like he used the same people yeah. the entire time, even when he started to make studio movies. His first studio movie was um, Serial Mom or his first real sort of, you know, tentpole. Yeah, yeah. Big budget was Serial Mom. And Mink Stoll is there as the neighbor. And absolutely. 
so many other people who are uh are just make cameos in that movie and right there's it's all it's almost like he never set out to be famous he just wanted to make art with his friends mm-hmm. and i think that's such a a really beautiful thing but yeah. you know what i've i tried a, a while ago when i because i love john waters and one day i'll write a book about him but like uh <laughs> he you know i wanted to watch it and i said like i'm gonna watch john waters like like as like what where's the where's the queerness in it like like his own queerness and like uh, you know like we we were talking off mic about Greg Araki and oh, of course you know all these queer filmmakers who are trying to explore sexuality on screen in a sense and I just go like John Waters gives no fucks about his sexuality he's just like sex is for everybody like be whatever you want whoever you love who you love and I think I was like that's very refreshing and in, in a time where um hollywood was seen as very conservative in values and they were still trying to again as i was mentioning earlier this was before scorsese this is before or when scorsese hit it big and um spielberg you know was still directing alfred hitchcock presents so it was before all of these other directors came by and said like i'm gonna have a point of view and i'm gonna make movies with that point of view um, Absolutely. here's John Waters just being like, here's my point of view of the world and people, and I love it. So uh I think I think that's it's just it's so great to see a queer yeah. man make such bombastically loud movies like he does. Absolutely. And I think and I was watching uh this straight man and a gay friend of his they had this like little youtube series and they talk about pink flamingos and they both did not like it and i was like okay i get it like it's disgusting and like all this kind of stuff but i was just like maybe it's just not made for you then like maybe it's just not you know i don't absolutely love this movie it's not a five out of five for me but i can appreciate what it's doing and like for example like when divine and her family find the the um dungeon of the marbles and you know the one prisoner is just like oh i don't know who you are miss lady but like you know he needs to get what he's coming to him you feel because like she's even like divine's just like you know it's okay like you're touching her and being like you know don't worry like we're gonna like we're gonna get justice like don't you worry listeners listeners that this is a white slavery ring in the basement (laughs) Of a house where yeah just to, just to clarify again just and, to clarify. and selling selling the babies that are inseminated of these prisoners to lesbians specifically it, it's a, yes it's, it's terrifying it's um i also think i also think in he is he is out loud i think i think most of the shock is supposed to be intentional um absolutely because again, we're talking about it like we're like he's made this precious like metaphorical movie about friendship and and society and rebellion. No, it's a series no. of really messed up vignettes with yeah. a sideshow cast of freaks and losers. Exactly, but it's beautiful because of the commitment of everybody. I and agree. I was just talking about this with. Um, my mentor who's from Baltimore grew up in Baltimore and uh, or, or lived in Baltimore, excuse me. 
lived in Baltimore uh, for a long time, knew it. And um, uh, Pink Flamingos, for those who are listening, was on Turner Classic Movies last week. Good for, I think, uh, I think Ben programmed that, um, Scott told me. And so he was watching it and he said, I just don't know how that, I don't know how a movie like this got made. <laughs> yeah. and, and I just kept saying like this, I think there was a part of John Waters. I was just like, I'm just going to shock people. I'm going to, I'm going to see how far I can go and, and go there because movies typically are very restrained and they don't mm-hmm. go there. And so if you gave him and his friends a a, a video camera or a, a movie camera, they went there. It's great. It's beautiful. Yeah, uh, no, totally. It also is very shocking. I mean, the the chicken scene is shocking. The yeah. the uh, white slavery scene is very shocking. The mm-hmm. uh, the talking asshole scene is very shocking. The ending is very shocking. I mean, by the time you get to the the end scene where Divine you know picks up a dog feces and eats it you're wrung out i mean just from like, like this is too much doctrinated with being like i don't like sure of course that's gonna happen but fuck it know, why not yeah why not but he ends it with like what's what's worse than all of this is li- you know it's literally eating shit <laughs> i know seriously and just like yeah, no, it's it's so crazy, and, and and yes, like you know, there can be some people who are like, you know, oh yes, this is what John Waters like. They want to read the subtext of it. I'm like, there's not a ton of subtext yeah, here. Um, <laughs> I don't know about that, but like, you know, it's fine. Uh, but you can read yeah. into whatever the hell it is. And again, I think it's more so just it is really cool that like these people just like made this fucking movie to be punk as fuck yeah. and to really just do this. Um, at a time where again you know it wasn't cool to be gay it wasn't really safe to do that and the fact that you have a drag queen who is literally like you know out here being you know gay shit um you have these people like you know doing this he was talking about his um commentary uh that i was watching yesterday he was like i don't know how some of these people like worked i don't know how could you work when you look like this like what the hell like <laughs> and that's fair which is why some people like yeah they'll go into self-employment like when you modify yourself or you just look a certain way and you're just like yeah how the fuck am i gonna make money like what do i do like when i you know either knowingly have done enough to like you know augment myself to be like well i guess i'm gonna be i'm gonna be like a adult performer so i'm going to make myself look you know very voluptuous or whatever but how the fuck am i gonna work in a corporate setting how do i do that you know what i mean or like how the fuck do i like work when i have all these tattoos all over me guess i'll go be a tattoo artist i'll go work in something that doesn't care you know what i mean so but that's an interesting point he, he made of just like yeah i don't know how the fuck they even worked like how do you even live when you like look like some of these people i was like that's fair i guess yeah they totally they found a place and or or he made he had them find a place in these movies is, is really exactly cool. yeah. yeah so i mean if anything like uh so I was going to say we can move into like a little bit of a plot breakdown. So Jackson, if you had to explain oh, Pink wow. Flamingos to somebody, if uh, I know there's not much of a narrative, but if you had to explain what Pink Flamingos is about, how would you like describe it to somebody who maybe has well, never seen it? 
Well, Babs Johnson, who is played by Divine, is mm-hmm. uh, is deemed the filthiest person alive, the most disgusting yes. person alive. And a rival couple, Connie and, oh, I forget his name. Raymond Marbles. Raymond Marbles, uh, who are an uptight, um, upper middle class suburban Baltimore, uh, Babs mm-hmm. Uh, well, let me back up. So Babs Johnson, uh, played by Divine, is known as the filthiest person alive. Mm-hmm. She lives in a trailer mm-hmm. on the outskirts of uh, Baltimore yes. with her mother, who is uh, who thinks she is a baby. Yep. And lives in a playpen. Lives in a playpen and is uh, in love with this uh the man who brings them eggs which yes. she calls egg man um and then she has a brother right doesn't she have a brother yes uh, i think babs has a brother or something named crackers crackers and uh they are a a misfit band of of freaks but they love each other but they are a family and they love each other mm-hmm. across town in the suburbs of baltimore are connie and raymond marbles who are an uptight uh upper middle class hoity-toity uh evil the most evil people in the world who want to seek revenge on babs and usurp her as the filthiest person alive exactly and so um resorts to murder attempts and um just sending feces in the mail sending dog shit in the mail and with a note that says eat shit and uh and basically the entire movie becomes a back and forth of how mm-hmm. each couple can top one another with who yes. is the most disgusting in the world um, yeah and it 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 does not end well for the marbles um, no and it ends with uh divine confirming her place as the most disgusting person in the world by eating a pile of dog poop yes yes that was a great plot did i cover it oh yeah that's a great plot the white slavery ring uh there's a there's a a a naked dude um there's there's uh there's a wedding uh yeah murder yeah uh, and divine at one point go over to the marbles and they lick all of the furniture Uh Um, yeah. and engage in incestuous fellatio yeah yeah you know the uh, the uh, the fact that bambi didn't have any of this is really disappointing to me so, honestly like it really i i want my money back i don't know what money i want back but i want yeah, it back honestly, um, honestly honey i shrunk the kids should have had all of this but it didn't so you know listen i uh, whatever <laughs> i mean it's chitty chitty bang bang witches you know I, like <laughs> <laughs> fucking mary poppins that bitch like really ah. but anyway um, truly scrumptious could never uh, could ever. never <laughs> so yes it's a it's a battle of who is the filthier person and it it does not end with, and divine or sorry babs does uh ultimately win out as the filthiest person alive she does that's so true it's just being a bad bitch all over the place love it uh i also love how this uh did turn into kitties uh flamingos because yeah. literally john waters like said this is a fucking like this is a movie that like five-year-olds like the basic premise of it is like 
so juvenile you know what i mean that literally he did have he took like the inappropriate parts out but he literally did have uh like literal kindergartners like reenact it which i thought was like really cute that's amazing that's amazing um, yeah, it is. It's a it's a revenge. It's a revenge film. It's a family film. It is. Uh, it is about being yourself. It is about not letting mm-hmm. other people tell you otherwise. Um, w- let your freak flag fly. I yeah. guess, girl. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much your plot. Pretty much goes over all of it. I mean, yeah, that's pretty much what this movie is about. Um, and yeah, are there any particular um? I guess if anything, like, do you have, uh, I kind of wonder, cause I feel like I might have at least like one or two, but like, do you have a particular favorite character in this movie? And do you have like a particular favorite scene of the movie by any chance? Well, I, 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 I do love Mink Stole. And I think mm-hmm. Connie, Connie is one of the great villains. <laughs> It's history. Um there's two types of people in oh, this world. Best scene in, world. Best scene in oh one that's probably one of my favorite scenes. Just um there are two kinds of people in this world. Uh your uh, my kind of people and assholes. And it's oh, very so clear good. which camp you're falling in. It's a it's a brilliant, brilliant brilliance oh fucking love it oh my god and uh, mink stole is just so evil such an evil bitch did you know that the um so sandy stan sandy sandstone first off these names (laughs) these fucking names that john waters has yeah um did you know that that was a childhood friend of mink stole's of hers actually (laughs) and like that's how she kind of got the part which was sort of fun also really great baltimore accent because she goes she does know what's going on here you're just yeah you're a real cunt you know that um (laughs) god it's so good um also, I may have mentioned this because by the time you're hearing this, I think I may have already been on a little show called The Horror Queers. Um, so go check that out if you haven't already done so. But um, like uh, it makes souls in that movie um, that I covered uh, with with those boys. But uh, did you know that Mink Stole actually has an older sister? Did you know this? No. Um Mink Stole has an older sister, actually. Um, I'm going to do the research and development on the pod right now. Hold on, wait a minute. So she has an older sister, and that older sister actually was, I think, one of the first uh, people considered and actually, I think, offered the part of Carrie from 1976. Oh, my God. I already know that. Uh, I'm pretty sure, like, yeah, I'm pretty sure her sister um let me see real quick she had a bunch of siblings right um but i'm pretty sure i'm looking this up right now um listeners so you know talk amongst yourselves it's fine uh but i'm pretty sure hold on wait a minute because i just i found this out not, not too long ago and i was like what the actual fuck um yeah she has a sister who was like in a movie right and because they're all at the she and her sister were actors or whatever and like her sister literally like was considered for that role and 
it ended up going to Sissy Spacek, of course, but I'm almost certain that that actually did happen. Like seriously, um, I'll have to find that out. But if you if you knew that, if any of you all knew that, though, I'm trying to figure out what her name was. What the fuck is her name? Oh, I can out. also cut some of this out too. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so no, but I will still leave some of that in because I literally found that out. Um, and I'm pretty sure that's actually true, uh, because they weren't sold on Sissy Spacek at first. So for that role, but that had happened. But anyway, uh, do you have any particular scene that you liked a lot or any sort of favorite? I like that one. I like, I like the interview scene a lot. I also Mm -hmm. think, um, I think the, (laughs) the wedding scene makes Uh, me laugh so hard because uh, it is so um it is so weird and wrong just Mm -hmm. everything in it from them like picking her he's like picking her up and she has this like grin on her face and everyone is so happy it is it is hysterical Uh, they're sniffing poppers love that oh my god it's fucking hilarious yeah i was like i wish i could write or direct a scene half as funny as that because everything is so serious in that scene like it's it's not tongue-in-cheek it's just like this is exactly what these people would do it's great i love that. i what agree are your, what are your my my favorite like my favorite character i mean i must say i god i do love me some edie so much like (laughs) and the reason for that is because i feel like she's just the most innocent of them all in a weird way you know all she really wants is just to chill uh and like eat some eggs you know eggs are good depending on how you like them you know and and whatever i like mine scrambled with like some ketchup or hot sauce on them uh but you know But I love, like, how innocent she is. And I think she really is fairly innocent through the whole thing, really. Um, She gets married to the Eggman. That's really nice. I love that. Uh, I love how uh, uh, Cotton, who's Mary Vivian Pierce, uh, she, like, uh, tells the story of Humpty Dumpty to her. And she just loves that. I love Edie so much, dude. Like, ugh. (laughs) Edith Matthews... what with like her doing her next role in female trouble where she just says gays are just better i'd be so happy if you was a fag oh so good i'm afraid you're gonna be i'm afraid you'll like you know um work in an office girl i know i feel that um and celebrate wedding anniversaries it's oh my god oh so good and from what i understand that's how she was like that's she was you know never an actress obviously no Um, but that's how she talked and that's just how she was so yeah it's like straightforward just saying the lines and and that's just how she she never got into a character or anything she was that character which amazing yeah she's my favorite and i just love her so much because yeah everyone else is kind of a villain but like edie's kind of like the shining grace and she's just like so wonderful i love her so much um anyway so yeah it's just like that um there's that and then um my favorite scenes i mean there are some really good ones uh just like them licking uh everything in the marbles is home and then the furniture rejecting the marbles yeah, right so fucking good 
<laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, the the furniture literally throws them on the ground as soon as they. I love uh, it. Yeah, I love it when they rescue the the slaves uh, from the basement of the marbles. Like that's really fun too. Like you know because yeah, it's just like real real nice. Um, I will say, listen and listen i'm not a uh i'm a queer person but i'm not a trans person or anything like that uh but i love the scene where you have good old elizabeth coffee is there she is like in the gazebo and like fucking druid hill park or some shit and raymond comes up to her to because what he does is he flashes people um so we, we see her we see him flash like these two ladies or whatever these two girls in the park uh where he also has like a big old sausage like tied around his dick too anyway so like he like accosts this like pretty lady and all this um and like you know so he like flashes her and then she like shows her like tit to him or whatever but then she pulls out uh what was between her legs and she like shakes it back you know at him and again if that's problematic i'm sorry but like god damn it uh (laughs) it spoke to me in a in a way um Because Elizabeth Coffey, if you didn't already know, at that point was literally like one of the first people to get a sex change at like Johns Hopkins. Um, she then ended up getting her gender confirming surgery not too long after she shot that, um, you know, and like, it's crazy that like, you know, yeah, like imagine that in 1972, like having a trans person just like fucking, you know, yeah, why not? Like what the what the hell, you know? So again, that's why it's so punk rock and kind of cool, and that is one of my favorite scenes. I know it's problematic. I know it. We've moved forward, but god damn it, like that just is like that's punk as fuck. I'm into that kind of in a weird way. Not defending it, but it but it's used it's used as comic effect. You know, it is yeah, and yeah, and here's this ridiculous character of the Flasher, and he gets his exactly you know yeah with fun little fact too so you'll appreciate this the baltimore museum of art which i have never been to in my life but uh uh, the john waters uh exhibition a few years hell hell yeah and also they named the bathrooms after him as well and guess who was the first person to go and take a piss in those elizabeth coffee herself fucking loved it no yeah, way. she she talks about this actually. Oh, go listen to Midnight Mass from Peaches Christ. Um, because she does talk to um she talks to Elizabeth Coffee on some episode. I don't remember which one it was. It might have been a John Waters episode. I don't fucking remember. But anyway, um she talks to her, and I believe I remember Elizabeth Coffee. She's like a really like she's just like a sweet, like uh, you know kind voice you know soul or whatever like a, an older trans lady really nice um but she did talk about how like yeah no she went to that opening because they had the opening for this like exhibition or whatever they named the bathrooms after him and she was like there as like the first person who was able to do it because he was in she while well, she was in one of his first movies and like you know is for all intents and purposes a dreamlander and again i just think that that's really punk as fuck to have somebody who if anything like a small part of your crew but like yeah having a transgender woman like in this movie 
yeah. was a big deal for that time. Like, you know, and again, it's just like, I just love that scene a lot because of just how ridiculous it is, but also just like, yeah, the punk factor of it all. And then of course the ending, not the shit eating part of the ending, but like where they tar and feather them and then they pretty much kill them. Uh, the marbles, it's a whole thing. So, I mean, those are kind of my favorite scenes. Again, it's not my favorite John Waters, but it's something where, I mean, I did spend money on the criterion of it. Why the fuck not? So yeah. it's something that I can just appreciate and enjoy for the most part. Uh, and yeah, and I, I look forward to um, getting into the rest of his oeuvre and his filmography, if anything, because I haven't seen all of it. Um, what what John Waters movies have you seen specifically? Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to talk about how he evolves after this. Um, sure. Because we're going to start wrapping up in a little bit anyway, but we could just kind of talk about that too. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, I think for listeners, I mean, you know, start with hairspray, mm-hmm. move to polyester. Oh, yeah. Or I should say, and female trouble. And right. if you get that far and you still like him, then watch Pink Flamingos. Um, Pink Flamingos is kind of the most, is the, I would say is, is probably the most extreme. Multiple maniacs, it's hard to put multiple maniacs in there because as shocking as the things we've said in multiple maniacs is, um, it's very disjointed and it doesn't make a lot of sense. There's tries to keep, to keep a story going, but then there's all these sort of diversions into like just scenes that make no sense and then he comes like some of those scenes in multiple maniacs i genuinely do think are just for shock factor like they don't involve any characters in it there's you know it's just random people doing gross things and just to shock it so Mm -hmm. but it's but i i personally like multiple maniacs for just how truly gorilla that movie (laughs) just the movie making is like the bad lighting and the shoddy acting but i you know personally i mean i've seen pretty much all of his movies up until uh i don't think i ever watched pecker um which is a later one he did but i love i mean i love i love serial mom I love um, Cecil B. Demented. I rewatch uh-huh. regularly because it's just a f- just a fucking great time. A Dirty Shame. I never. I I haven't laughed so hard at a movie than A Dirty Shame. Uh, which Would you like is- to know a fun little fact about where I am located? Um, I may have. I don't know if I mentioned this. Um, I, I it hasn't happened yet. But um, so. <laughs> With Cecil B. Demented, I watched that on Tubi like not too long ago. And so you know the scene at the end where, um, spoiler alert, Melanie Griffith's hair catches on fire and they have this like showdown at this drive-in um, or whatever? So I am located about a 10-minute drive away from that um, drive-in theater. Yeah. Um, and also it is a real drive-in theater called Benji's. Like it wasn't made <laughs> up for the, it wasn't made up for the movie or anything. That's a literal drive-in theater that is still operational today and was at that time. So like, yeah, like it's so like, um, I, I really did love that. Cause I literally was like, okay, this movie's in Baltimore. Like obviously takes place here, blah, da, 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 da. 
Um, but when I saw that they used Benji's, I was like, I live right fucking near there. Like, what the hell? Like, that's so cool. Well, I mean, they- Serial Mom and Serial Mom, no. they uh, they go into a club, and it, and it was like that club was still there. I forget what the name of the club was, but it was yeah. like that club was there. When uh, I sent a picture of it to my mentor, and he was like, "That was there when I was there." You yeah, know, of course. It, it was just a ra- like it's an establishment, which is great. Um, mm-hmm. that uses those but yeah i uh, that's so funny uh, yeah. i don't think i've seen pecker and um i haven't either I, you know but i've seen polyester um desperate living is great um female trouble mm-hmm. all, all of those uh, those they're just they're yeah they're all great they're all great i yeah. i personally like my favorite is i think probably serial mom or Cecil B. Demented because Cecil yeah. B. Demented because he he finally gets to make a movie about movies. I know, um, which is brilliant, and his st- and like the in jokes are great, and he's just you could tell he's having a good time. But Serial Mom is perfect. I think Serial mm-hmm. Mom because he he has to work within a studio movie. Pussy Willows. A lot of so there's a, yeah Pussy Willows, uh, Pussy Willows Dotty Ming Stoll again Ming Stoll amazing. I beg your pardon, you know, just Kathleen Turner doing a crank on <sighs> the first five minutes. Who, fun fact too, also, I don't know if she's from Baltimore, but she went to school here, weirdly enough, too. Like, that also happened. I was like, what the fuck? Really? Yeah, she went to UMBC oh for, like, God. acting and shit. I know, it's so weird. Makes well, no she- sense. But but uh, but I, it, it's the same with, like, Polyester, where, with Tab Hunter, where it's like, just these performance, these balls to the wall performances that I know. He gets out. Like Kathleen Turner and Tab Hunter, it's just like wacko. Uh, I'm like, I'm like, that's a great director. A great director is somebody who yeah. can get like Kathleen Turner to be this sarcastic, murdering housewife who yeah. is hysterical. And like Sam Watterson is great. Matthew Lillard is fantastic. Amazing. It's all great. Yeah. What are what are your favorites? Yeah. I mean, like I've seen multiple maniacs, pink flamingos. Right. I I did uh message you this. So I am in the middle of getting female trouble, um, polyester, uh God, what else is there? Um Desperate Living. And whatever no, whatever other one is on the Criterion collection, whichever there's four of them. I own one of them already. The other one, what the fuck is it? Uh it's not Desperate Living, it's the other one. Polyester, Female Trouble, and then some fucking movie that oh Multiple Maniacs. That's what it was. Yeah, Never mind. Sorry. I was like, okay, yeah, yeah. Only those. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then Hairspray uh, 1988. I'm also getting that on Blu-ray too. Right. But anyway, so, uh, but I have not seen um, Female Trouble, Desperate Living, Polyester, all that stuff. But I have seen uh, Hairspray 98, uh, 1988, uh, Crybaby, which again, say what you will about oh, Johnny God, Depp. Crybaby, of course. Yeah. Uh, say what you want about Johnny Depp. I get it. But and Amy Locaine, Amy Locaine is in prison now, which is whatever. Or that's sad. But I mean, fucking a, like, wait, wait, real quick. That's another one. Like Johnny Depp. It's a great performance. He gets. Oh, it's good. Fantastic. Yeah. 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 No, totally. I mean, like there's that. Um, That was a musical. Like crazy enough. Like crazy. it got turned into a musical. Um, Can we take Wanda the fuck home? Like it's so good. Rockabilly. Everything about it. Uh, Serial mom. I loved. Um, 
I haven't seen Pecker or a Dirty Shame. Um, I am not the hugest fan of that 2007 hairspray. There's parts of me that like it, and there's parts of me that just look at John Travolta and I'm like, "What are you doing? Why? <laughs> why? What is this?" Trish Turnblad. Trish Turnblad. I can't. I don't understand it. And listen, I. But you know what? It's a good time. I had a great It is time. a good time. I yeah. like the music in it. Nikki Blonsky is our queer queen. Blonsky. Love it. Well, Pfeiffer is great in that. It's 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 a but it's I, I, Jerry Stiller. Act. Like, come on. Like um or no, sorry, Christopher Walken. Sorry. Yeah, uh, Christopher Walken. But but Zach Afron is great too. He was very Amanda yeah. Bynes, like, oh, our girl Brittany Snow. We love everybody. We love it. Uh, I just look at John Travolta. I'm like, what the, why? But my favorite, I mean, I have to say is Hairspray 80, not, um, 88. Yeah. I mean, fucking Divine in her final role, unfortunately. Exactly. Ricky Lake, you know, um, go Ricky, go Ricky, you know. Uh, fucking that, uh, an unknown uh, vitamin C just working like uh, okay cool baby josh charles like come on now like i mean how can like uh i mean that that movie is just so goddamn good uh and it also has like a a fun message to it It has a really nice message to it and i love it his his eye for casting like the fact that he casted oh my gosh um i'm gonna i'm gonna blank on her name she was the one who got uh kidnapped um she's in serial oh the one who got kidnapped uh oh uh patty hearst patty hearst yes that he that he cast patty hearst after the kidnapping (laughs) and in all in like all of those movies afterwards Mm -hmm. and she and he was and he was just like yeah what else would i do she needed work (laughs) yeah why not and she's a she's an icon because she literally had like stockholm syndrome for her captors and it was you know Uh, that 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 tracks and here she is wearing white shoes after labor day and cereal mom it's great well she probably well and you know what she deserved what came to her you know that's fine (laughs) um but yeah i mean listen i I, but yeah that's like definitely my favorite so i'm glad to add some other ones to my collection um i'm interested to see like uh if liar mouth which is other movie is kind of in the works a little bit they kind of want to do something with it it'll be a day when that man shoves off this mortal coil because i might need to take a day or two okay me too yeah i, and, I mean you know he's still out there he's touring i've seen mm-hmm. his stand-up show twice it's great right um he's doing things for criterion collection i mean obviously his movies, but he did an amazing interview for Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Oh and, yeah, um, and he, you know, he, he did an audio commentary for Mommy Dearest back in the day. Right. Like, I mean, right. uh huh, yeah. And he's, uh, and you know, I think he was on Drag Race. I mean, you know, oh, he, yeah, he's out there working. Our girl's working. Our girl is working, and he is getting his due. And I just love that he's like a good town Baltimore boy. Um, I just don't. Like, I want to know if he still owns any property here. Like, John Waters, come to Baltimore, like, when you can. Like, please. we I still love you. So, whatever. I'll happily open my arms <laughs> to you. Um, I do love... I think I mentioned it in... um When I was on um Movies That Made Us Gay with Beautiful Thing, I was talking about something. And I was talking about Divine or some shit like that. And uh, if you don't already know, so Divine is buried in 
Lutherville, Maryland, somewhere, uh, some cemetery. And that's the same cemetery that John Waters is going to be buried at, too. And I'm just like, work, bitch. Uh, <laughs> uh, because, of course, the whole thing with Divine is that people are like, they make it a point, like some people who are like super fans, they've come yeah. to Baltimore, they oh, go and see yeah, the grave, yeah. shit like that. Yeah. So yeah, go Go do the John Waters filming location tour if you ever come to Baltimore. Uh, not that it's a sanctioned thing or anything. I'm sure you can find it. Maybe don't do like The Wire or like Homicide Life on the Street. Don't don't do that. Don't do that filming location no, tour. Okay, no, no. maybe do the John Waters one. Do the John do the John Waters one. That may be a little bit more fun to do. Um, because you're just driving around Towson, Lutherville, like other places, and just being like, oh hey. there's that there's that house yeah there's the house you probably can find it i'm sure there's places like that you could find i mean absolutely go go drive by benji's like you know whatever it's fine uh but anyway i think that that's gonna wrap it up for us i believe uh jackson thank you so much for coming on the show today it was kind of a little last minute thing to get you on because like i don't know i wanted to talk about this movie and a bitch was free so yeah that was nice no, no, I'm always free to talk about pink flamingos. So, of and, course, and come on your podcast. So, thank of you. course, yeah. Again, we have some rumblings coming in. Uh, you know, we got some, we got some things being thought up. You know, uh, to yeah. try to expand our brand and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, uh, would you like to plug your social medias or anything for people who care about any of that? Yeah, sure. Uh, just Instagram at jackson.cooper.arts. And that's pretty much the only one I'm on. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, so follow me. Shoot me a d- DM about what your favorite John Waters uh, movie is and why I'm right and you're wrong. So Yeah, and then also find him on locally on Grinder in Washington. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> you, oh, okay, but you don't find it. Okay, that's fine. You're whatever. Find him on Plenty of Fish, okay? <laughs> kind of like how Lady Gaga had that in her one video. Uh, and it's fine. It's all good. Yeah, it's Right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Jackson, and I appreciate it and love talking to you. And uh, I think this is a nice, fun conversation. So thanks so much. Yeah, thanks. Bye.